0: Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Amen. Good morning. morning. It's a good little prayer, isn't it, I I think? We wish to see Jesus. That's what the Greek person said um, in our gospel passage. They came and said, we wish to see Jesus. Uh, These were not uh, ethnically Jewish. Uh, They were God-fearing people. Uh, but they were not part of God's covenant people, uh, as the ethnic Jews were. But they were there in Jerusalem to worship uh, at the Passover feast. And so they wished, they wanted to see Jesus. And we're going to talk about those folks, those Greek people, in just uh, a, a few minutes. But first, I want to, I want to just reflect on Lent, the season uh, that we are in right now. I mean, you are a little weird if you practice Lent. Uh, it starts, Lent starts with people walking around with ashes on their forehead uh, in the shape of a cross. Now, I uh, went into a store on Ash Wednesday, and the clerk uh, there at the, the store had uh, ashes on her uh, forehead. And I said, You've been to church. And of course, I was in my collar, I had ashes on my forehead too. And she said, people have been telling me all day that I have a smudge on my forehead trying to you know, get it get it off. And, I mean, it's a little weird, you know, and I mean, and then we give up things that we enjoy for over a month. How un-American is that, right? I mean, uh, when we were living in Charleston, Amy gave up Starbucks for Lent. Uh, they had one right in the Piggly Wiggly, uh, you know, in, in the grocery store, and and after a couple of weeks of seeing Amy walk past without buying anything, which is a little unusual, um, they asked her uh, if they had done something wrong. They, like, called her over. We'd done something wrong. And she said, no, I've just given up Starbucks for Lent. And, and the, they could not figure what in the world their coffee had to do with the stuff that they pulled out of the dryer. You know, the lint. They just... Different kind of Lent, uh, it was, but it's just weird, you know. It's practicing Lent is weird, and it's actually even a little weird within the broad spectrum of Christianity. You may have friends that are real involved in their church, but they don't do anything leading up to Easter. Uh, you know, they might even skip Good Friday. They just show up in big hats on Easter morning, and um, but the weirdness in our culture. And even the weirdness in wider Christianity is less about what we do for Lent and more about what Lent declares. I heard a preacher recently uh, talk about how he and his wife love to go to the movies. But if there's a scary part or if there's a a, a gory part, uh, his wife will cover up her eyes and say, Tell me when the bad part's over. He said that's kind of what we do sometimes with the Christian story. We, we cover up our eyes and just, well, just tell me when the bad part's over. And Lent actually forces us to keep our eyes open to the bad parts. Rather than sort of gloss over it and run to chocolate bunnies and the empty tomb, uh, Lent forces us, through perhaps through disciplines of self-denial, to acknowledge that there is, in fact, a darkness within each of us. And Lent forces us to focus on one of Christianity's uh, unique claims, and that is that life comes not in the absence of death, but on the other side of it. Life comes not in the absence of death, but on the other side of it. And, and you know, as that works out in our lives, it's not just physical death, but it's, it's any hardship, it's any recognition of our sin. It's, it's any death of a relationship or a friendship or that went sideways or the death of an expectation that we've had. It's any anguish or sadness or bitter disappointment. And the message of Christianity generally and as we're moving towards Good Friday, the, the message of Lent in particular, is that the bad parts are where God does His work. And we talked about the cross-shaped valleys. In fact, it is actually the bad news that makes the good news so great. So glorious and so good. I mean, it's no big deal, right? It's no big deal if you have a, that you have a Savior if you don't need saving. I mean, if you see a lifeguard on the beach and they're just sitting in, your, in their chair... No big deal. You're much more impressed with them if they've had to swim out into the ocean and pull, drag you back in when you were drowning. And Lent forces us to open up and and look inside and keep our eyes open to the bad part, the drowning part, and to see just how deep our need really is for God's intervention. Lent declares that you cannot get to the glory of the tent, the empty tomb without first going through the cross. But it is actually the cross that makes the empty tomb so glorious. True life comes not in escaping the valley of the shadow of death, whatever that looks like in your life. It might be some um, hardship that has been imposed upon you. Maybe it's been... Uh, You've been confronted with your own brokenness. But whatever it is, true life comes not in escaping the valley of the shadow of death, but on the other side of it. And So that brings us back to those Greek folks from our gospel passage. um, They may have been from Greece. They were certainly Greek-speaking. They were not Jewish. But they had been there in Jerusalem for the Passover, and they had seen this palm-waving crowd when Jesus rode into town on a donkey. And they had probably heard about the fracas in the temple uh, when Jesus had turned over the table of the money changers. And they had witnessed the devotion of the the masses and they had even perhaps uh, heard Jesus teach. And they must have asked, who is this guy? I mean, is this the one that we have been waiting for? we've all been waiting for and so they grab philip who was also a greek speaking man and and he was jesus's disciple and they say sir we wish to see jesus and so philip grabs andrew and they all they go and tell jesus about the request and what would you expect jesus to do like pull out his calendar right and say Well, actually, I've got some time at 3 o'clock. Or I'm booked till Thursday. Or I've got an appointment on Friday. I might see if I can move that one. Um, I mean, but something, right? Something. But Jesus takes this unexpected turn. And what he says seems to have no no bearing, nothing to do with the request. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. You can just picture Philip and Andrew going, huh? Huh? Did you hear what we said? But this request, this, and particularly it's the fact that, that non-Jews, these Gentiles who were wanting fellowship with the Jewish Messiah, it stirs something in Jesus. I mean, it, his hour has come, which means his cross is near. What is finally upon him is his appointment to widen the scope of God's covenant people from the ethnically Jewish to the whole world. And he's going to do that by taking the sin of the world upon himself on the cross. And so when these Greeks say we wish to see Jesus, what Jesus says is, It's happening. It's happening. It's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And of course, when we think of being glorified, we think of a rise to power, right? The the praise of nations, the wealth uh, of the good life. But Jesus is saying that his cross is his glorification. Listen to what he says. Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains just a single grain. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. In other words, what he's saying is life comes on the other side of death. In order to give life, the grain must first die. The grain must first be separated from its source of life and be buried in the ground. And then through its death and its burial, life springs forth. Now for the grain, that's more grain, right? And, and maybe for us, it's, it's bread for us, filling us, nurturing us. But first and foremost, in this little metaphor, Jesus is talking about himself. I mean, just like the grain has to die, in the same way, way, Jesus was separated from his source of life, which was the Father. Remember on the cross, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's separated from his source of life. And in that separation, he cries out, It is finished. And then he dies. He's buried on Good Friday. Through his death, on the other side of his death, life springs forth for all people. And sins are forgiven and shame is shaken off. Hope is restored. This is the Lenten Declaration, which is first modeled in Jesus' own mission. That his resurrection life comes only after his death on the cross. He has got to go through death in order to get to life. And our life in him and our life for him comes only because of his death on the cross. Then Jesus says something that may seem a little unsettling, but actually ultimately I think is quite hopeful. He says that this pattern This death-then-life pattern actually is modeled also and repeated in the life of Christians. He says those who love their life will lose it, and those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And we heard a a statement like this a few weeks ago when we looked at Mark chapter 8. And I don't think that Jesus in this context means loving or hating our lives in terms of like a degree of affection love my life or I hate my life. Like I don't mean he means it like that. Rather, to love one's life in this way is to exalt our own wants over the plans that God has for us. To resist the hard times that He works in. So to, to love our life in this context is to hold on to the things that we think are going to give us life, even when they don't deliver what they promise. You know, we think, well, if I just keep pushing, if I can just make it to the end of the month, if I can just get through this project, if I can just get my last kid graduated, if I can just get this raise, I mean, whatever it is, then life will be better. Then life will be manageable. Then I will have the peace that I'm looking for. We know how all that works out, right? I mean, you get the deal done, what do you have to do next? Another deal. (laughs) It builds expectation. Each finish line just brings the promise of more finish lines behind it. Success is valuable in a lot of ways, but typically it also brings more pressure and expectation, not freedom. Ask any football coach. Those who love their life will lose it, Jesus says. But then he says, And those who hate their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And to hate one's life in this context, not depression, not suicide, but it is to give preference for God's sovereign will over one's own wants and desires. To give preference for God's sovereign will over one's own wants and desires. We die to ourselves in preference for the life that God wants we look to his cross and his resurrection and then we cling to that promise that he has got us no matter what come what may which is again why Lent does its work because we give up something little like cookies and every time we impulsively grab for a cookie but pull our hand back we are reminded again of Jesus' sacrifice for us But that sacrifice somehow actually prepares us for walking through those difficult seasons like undiagnosed illness or like clinical depression or like loneliness or like whatever it is that this season just hadn't turned out the way it should have or the way I thought it would. We know, and partially because Lent prepares us to know, we know that life comes on the other side of death. We want to say don't we? No, no, don't tell me I've got to die. Tell me to live. I want want a smiling preacher on a stage to tell me about my best life now. But that's not the way the Christian life works. Living comes through dying. The grain has to die first. Has to be separated from its source of life first. Has to be buried first. And then, maybe slowly, but surely, Life comes. Now, I want to just pastorally readily acknowledge this is way easier here, way easier for me to say than it is for any of us to do. I've recently had some circumstances in my own life where I have been forced to check and see if I believe my own preaching. And I have found in these little earthly deaths, these little dying to self. They're no fun at all. That's what I've found. But I've also found firsthand that because Jesus is with us, because He is walking with us through the valley of the shadow of death, that He is good for His promise of fruit and life. And the more I walk with Him, and the more I experience that promised life on the other side of dying to self-deaths, the more my prayers begin to sound like, Sir, I wish to see Jesus. And so my prayer for you and for myself this Lent is that you would wish to and that you would see Jesus. Amen. Amen.